When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to Screen Talk, IndieWire's weekly podcast. I'm Eric Cohn, joined as always by Ann Thompson. And Ann, we're going to take a step back from the craziness of the news cycle and anticipating the fall to look at some big picture stories this week. But before we do that, there is one news story that I think we should probably take a look at because it's just shaking up every aspect of the industry in terms of its implications. And that, of course, is the fate of Batgirl, which HBO is no longer going to put on HBO Max. It's not going to be a theatrical movie. It's done. They spent $90 million on it, but it's not coming out. What do you make? As we're recording, I should note, we haven't heard the Warner Brothers Discovery uh, earnings call, so we don't know how they're going to explain this decision or the decision to take several other uh, smaller movies off of the service very quietly over the past few weeks. But I guess the big question here is, what kind of a world are we living in where a company of this size cannot pull the plug on something you know, before it goes into production or mid-production, but after the thing is done, and what does it portend for the, uh, the future? The equivalent thing here is the old uh, studios, uh, whenever there was a management change, this would happen routinely and everyone would cry in their beer that a movie would not be uh, released properly. What would happen is that it would be dumped, the quote unquote dumped. And that would mean no marketing, no reviews. Just let <laughs> it happen and then thrown into on. theaters and out in days, you know, literally. And and, I, and and what's interesting about this is that it's all about accounting. Zaz has basically said he has David to say, you know, incredible amounts of money. He's got a, a goal. Uh, he's going to uh, whittle back the staff. He's going to excise all the waste, all of the excess. He's going to find sources of revenue. And he's a guy, believe it or not, I actually think this guy is very smart and very canny. I don't like the idea that all those people worked on that movie. Right. And by the so. way, and, and and it was all for naught. I, I don't like it at all. I don't like it that it's just a line item veto, uh, a deletion, that this thing is just um, a, a tax write-off. But that is the opportunity that Zaslav has having just taken over this company, he yeah. can do this once and he can take every single thing that he doesn't want to pay for and, and make it a loss and take it off on his taxes. And he will save millions of dollars this way. And it, 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 it didn't, they hadn't finished the movie word on the street is that it didn't test great, but it wasn't as bad as some of the reports have suggested. Right. It well, that as at bad least as many bad movies that people release, you know. Right, right. Yeah, it, it wouldn't necessarily have been a disaster from a, you know, right. from a reputational standpoint. They had standpoint, to pay but... to finish it. They had to pay to market it and release it, but not if they had gone straight to HBO Max. So that is the confounding decision. You know, why yeah. not even go there? And the reason is that it's a tax write-off. That's why. And that's why they're taking off certain movies from the from the site. Now, uh, the part of this 
that I find interesting is the way everybody's getting all upset about how HBO Max is somehow being uh, decimated here. And we still don't know. They're going to change. We're, we now have Warner Brothers Discovery. We now are going to find out what the new name of HBO Max and Discovery are, are going to be, the streaming uh, consolidated right. site. And, you know, they're no longer in the business of making original movies for HBO Max, which is a cost that they don't want to take on. It makes it all when AT&T is the company that is really responsible for starting Warner Brothers on, on and Warner Brothers Media on this very negative direction. Well, I think one thing that, that's worth looking at is that it felt like there was this attempt on Jason Killar's part to turn HBO Max in and, and Warner Brothers into a disruptive entity that didn't necessarily make sense from a business standpoint in the immediate moment. But it made there sense was a, in, during the pandemic. During the it pandemic, for sure. For, it was an opportunity that he seized during the pandemic, lost but, himself a job in the process because yeah, exactly. he the alienated necessarily so working. many filmmakers and so right. many. So, I have no sympathy for what Jason Kalar did. No, no. And, and whatsoever. Now you've got two different leadership. Or Stanky. Ones. Stanky's the John Stanky's the guy who really, really messed. So you had up. Jason Kilar sort of alienate the talent. And now th in this situation, we don't have like a Denis Villeneuve type of established auteur. No, these are you low. Have a lot of. But it's sent philosophically, it's troubling. It, does, it, it, it creates this narrative of do filmmakers of a certain level really want to get in the business with a company that can do this kind of People stuff? People are more sophisticated than that, Eric, I would suggest to you. I think everyone in Hollywood is looking at this uh, is a dollars and cents move. Um, it's not it, it's not friendly to the creatives involved. And the I think the horrifying aspect of this is that this was a movie with a lot of um, bona fides uh, in terms of uh, the, the people of color involved, all of the opportunities presented to all of these people to advance their careers taken away from them. Completely eliminated. Yeah, yeah and, that and, sense, and it, that sense it fosters that you have no the autonomy. other narrative that movies like this are risky. That's the horrifying part for Zaslav. I don't want to think that that's part of his thinking. That this because they clearly they didn't think this would add anything to the DC world that they right. want to create. And the idea there's one thing I read which I thought was interesting: the idea that they're going back to zero. That they're going back to the starting it's like deja vu. again. They've been doing it over and over yeah, and over yeah. again for short term. Can't figure out like, what is the DC. Yeah. I mean, it's like it, it. It feels like there's going to be many books written about like the curse of the DC movie universe in the shadow of MCU. I mean, even now when MCU, some people are really questioning the the density of the MCU, the long-term strategy, this would be a great moment to pounce in a way, but you can't just do that because it takes a long time to set the, these so things going, up. And yeah, they're going back to the old idea of just getting one great director after another. You know, the Batman is doing fine. You know, that's looking good. Um, you know, they've got Joker, too, coming, uh, Toby Emmerich's legacy, but they're throwing out Emmerich and Hamada, the guy who, who was in charge of DC, they're throwing them out. Uh, their plan, all all of the movies they were going to do that they had figured out. Uh, yeah. gonna, and why are they doing that? I would say to you that the one um, thing to remember is that they did bring in Michael DeLuca and Michael DeLuca is no fool. He is a brilliant creative entity and he is capable of doing the right thing in, in, in this universe. And I think that's what Zaslav is, is counting on. And, and Alan Horn too, coming in as a consultant. So yeah. those two things mitigate with the creative community, whatever negatives are going on on the balance sheet accounting side 
of Warner Brothers. And I would say that they are not, you know, they're still going to have a big budget to invest in movies. No, you know, people, filmmakers are still going to come to them and look for money. It's not like they're going to be persona non grata because of these very, uh, everybody knows that this is what happens when someone new takes over. It usually doesn't happen exactly like this, but it is, it is the trend you know, the thing I kept thinking yesterday, yesterday, because we're recording this on a Thursday and on Wednesday when all this news was breaking was the, the one thing that definitely would not have happened in the Zaslav era is the great winner of the best fan film Oscar last year, <laughs> Zack Snyder's Justice League. The Snyder Cut was is not something that they are proud of. I mean, remember how many headlines this thing generated? They were so proud of what they'd People still built. fight about it online. It's, it's amazing. Huge just polarizing throw it thing. out there. It's like juicy meat. Yeah. On, and it was fascinating Twitter. to watch that thing, honestly. And it's amazing that it exists. But like, is it going to continue to exist? I mean, that was certainly a, a, a strange cultural moment that this thing was. Now, was look, if I were to ever come up with some Somebody capable of of writing the DC universe, it would be Michael DeLuca. And I'm 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 gonna I'm gonna put all my eggs in the DeLuca basket. The only risk there is that his um it's gonna be interesting to see how his filmmaker-friendly, often arcane taste, um, you know, something like 3,000 Years of Longing or or Cyrano. These are movies that Michael DeLuca recently greenlit. Um both of which I liked, but were not commercial by any stretch of the imagination. Um, I'm, I'm, he's going to have to really figure out the the most commercial version of his taste if he's going to continue to survive with Zaslav. And I know he's smart enough to figure that out. Well, to be continued on that front. In the meantime, we've started putting out some predictions. Last week we talked about how it was early, but you got your best picture predictions out there based on fall lineups and so forth. Now we have some best director predictions. And I I really found this list that you had fascinating one, because there's some directors whose work I really love. And I think it would be really exciting to see it. Did I surprise you, Eric? But well, because honestly, it's like, and I'm not saying that 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 doesn't usually happen, but that, it would be kind of awesome if it really did come down to Jordan Peele versus Ruben have, Oslin. I know we have to, I know. we have to, we have to back off a second. These are very early predictions. One and two, why do we do them so early? We do them so early so that there will be traffic on them. Okay. Honesty is the best policy. It isn't like I want to do them now. I want to do them after the film festivals. Well, it's like sort of, but, you got to plant the flag and understand that these categories keep evolving. And this and, is the and, stories and, and you present do that. the movies that have already opened as it, I only put movies that I've seen in front runners. This is my little Piccadillo. It's my thing. And that means that there's a lot of weird movies in there that are going to be supplanted later on by things that uh, do well at the festivals you and know, with critics and with uh, Academy voters. Triangle of Sadness is, I'm curious to see how that plays as it re-enters the conversation. Nope. I was on vacation when that movie opened, so I didn't get a chance to talk to you about it. I went to go see that by, by myself, like as soon as I got back, like I just bought a ticket, went to a theater. Okay. What did you think, Eric? I, I at first I didn't know what to think. And then I was amazed by that because it's like Jordan Peele, as much as he's cultivated this brand as an emerging auteur is remains a very unpredictable filmmaker. And I thought what was so great about it was that even though from like a plot standpoint, like the threat is familiar, I guess we shouldn't spoil it too much. 
what he's doing in terms of how he's he's looking at film history and the people it has ignored over the years is so it's so unexpected to do that on that scale. And it's such a brilliant conceit that I was just so enthralled by the way the movie kept me thinking afterwards. And yet it was still fun to watch. It was fun to watch. It was delightful to watch. It was unexpected in, in terms of how it unfolded. And it and the acting was amazing. I mean, Daniel Kaluuya yeah. and Kiki Palmer and so good. Um, Stephen Young, all, all aces. They brought it. Yeah. 100%. And they really deliver. And then the other, the other thing is that it sticks with you over time. That, and exactly. you think about it and you mull it over. And it's the kind of movie where actually reading a few uh, reviews from uh, erudite film critics uh, can enlighten you. You can, you can come up with critics. things that you I didn't would think of. Jordan Peele doesn't like to do a ton of interviews about stuff. He likes that kind of secretive artist vibe, which is fine. Do you do you. But like, I got the sense that like this dude really reads reviews and reads film history books. And that informs his thinking, not unlike when Scorsese made Hugo or something like, how do you take stuff that seems like it's just, you know, for the, the pure cinephile mindset and translate it into something that can be palatable to more people. And I feel like looking at the, the, the first moving image in history, and what was underrepresented about that, the black jockey on the horse. And, and putting the, them on horses and putting them on a ranch and yeah. putting them in the Western world. Building. Uh, world. But but then having this sort of Buffalo Bill and his Indians weird thing on the side, right. you know, this, this carnival attraction. And then combining all of those elements, just the visuals of those flags that are waving, yeah. you know, and, and the intricacies of the plot that they come up with to catch capture this threat that you just Describe. Right. Uh, and the imagery of 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 old 50s sci fi UFO movies, all of it is is intertwined in this very clever way with this crazy, crazy uh, chimpanzee that goes nuts. Yeah. Side story. And a sort of. Yeah. When you think, well, why is that there? Well, because the whole thing is a meditation on media and the kind of traumas it creates or the limitations it creates for people and so forth. It's just fascinating. How many light layers there is to it? Absolutely. Absolutely. And then you have this sort of very intense brother, sister grieving uh, thing going on. Uh, with, and, yeah, and the emotion is there, too. Absolutely. I would have actually thought this. Would and have also been the awesome whole the whole thing about observing and, and trying to capture yeah. on film uh, what was going on. Capturing the, the uncapturable in a way. Uh, I, I would have loved to see this movie at Cannes. I think that Jordan Peele should be a Cannes competition caliber filmmaker. I think like maybe spoilers or whatever may, could have made that difficult. But I, if you look at the way Cannes elevated certain movies this year, Elvis and, and Top Gun, why not put an open that? I, I mean, it did all right. I'm sure Universal made a, a calculated choice there not to humor their filmmaker, but rather to uh, get the most commercial opening that they could. And what's interesting about that is that they did get a good opening out of it. it did all right. And it then it well. fell. It, fell, yeah. it fell more than us. Very I think quickly. this is a better movie than us. I don't think it's as good a movie as Get Out, which was perfect. Okay. But it's, this is what we want from filmmakers. Yeah. This is exactly what Original we want. IP. And I would like to think that the Academy would recognize this, go back to, he was well rewarded for get out by the Academy, right. a, de a best director nomination. One they were probably play. close on picture. We'll never know. Yes, how. Close. Absolutely. Absolutely. Kaluuya got in there. So yeah. I would like to see, I would really like to see this rewarded in all the right categories. So hopefully they invest in, in a campaign that keeps it going. Cause it does, look like it's going to be a pretty busy season 
but there's a lot, but we, a lot of people, <laughs> I did, I did my best picture and, and director uh, suggestions. And a lot of people were like, you're just putting down everything that was, that's coming at the festivals. Yes. Well, we have to see them first. Okay. That's the big names at. are there. Let's see how, I mean, if we, if, for example, we recognize that Guadagnino, you know, his movie bones and all is probably not going to be mainstream uh, uh, Hollywood fair. We still have to see it before we can decide what yeah. it is. Yeah. There, there's definitely a surprise somewhere. There always is some kind of surprise. The question is, is it a surprise of something we've already seen, which we'll talk about next week, or is it a surprise of something that we're, we're kind of discounting right now? We've got our top tens. This was actually a really interesting exercise for me. I yeah, mean, me I've, I've done it many times over the years, but what it struck me is that this has just been, this year has just been all over the place. And I have a very eclectic list. And I'd be curious to hear what yours is as well. Mine so is how do bizarre. You want to... <laughs> Good. I like bizarre. I'm going to start with number 10, which is Kimmy. Kimmy is the Steven Soderbergh movie uh, starring Zoe Kravitz. It is a Hitchcock thriller. It's one of my favorite Steven Soderbergh movies of recent vintage. It mm. was kind of overlooked because it came out online. It didn't really have a theatrical release. Yeah. And I totally thought it was one of his best movies today. Honestly, I thought well, it, was it was fun to see him play and with the... and, and she uh, delivered a star performance. I, I became convinced that she's actually a movie star. Yeah, it was a good, it was a great performance. And I liked the, the idea of a Hitchcock thriller for, for the Siri generation. That That's right. Like a Siri type of character. I have some qualms about it, but we can get into them another time. My number 10 is Akiara, which uh, premiered at Cannes last year, but Neon released it this year. This is uh, sort of a neorealist thriller from Jonas Carpignano uh, about a teenage girl in Italy who finds out that her father is actually a gangster, basically, and goes missing. And then she falls in with this lower class Romani community and starts to understand all these different things about class conflict. And it's very intense. It reminded me of like early Bertolucci or something. It was very elegant piece of filmmaking that I think was maybe uh, undervalued a bit because, you know, releasing movies and getting them seen right now is pretty hard. But Jonas Carpignano is an amazing new realist kind of filmmaker that, that people should keep an eye on. So that's my number 10. That's something I'm going to have to catch no, up you'll, with. You'll have I, to check it out. I look forward. That's why um, these lists are good. Absolutely. Uh, my, where is it? Uh, where can you find it now? That's a good question. I mean, I think it might be coming to Hulu at some point because of Neon's deal with them, but it, it, it might be lingering in theaters still. So I would I would recommend people check it out. It's check Ah it Kiara. Uh, so the other my number nine is Marcel the Shell, which we talked about uh, last week. Um, I just adore this little uh, gem of an animated uh, film. It's a mix. It's a, a very sophisticated blend of live action with these two little characters uh, and 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 their uh, environments. And they shot everything twice. And uh, Bill Desowitz, our animation editor, uh, just wrote up a beautiful uh, story about A, how it was made, but B, why uh, there's going to be an interesting question of whether the animation branch is going to be able to accept it as uh, animation. And I'm hoping that they they do. It, they it is absolutely well should. It is and well I can voiced. Yeah. It is gorgeous. It is moving. It is funny. It is charming. It is unexpected. It's everything you want from a movie that comes out of left field and throws you for a loop. And it's also one of the few uh, art house or I mean, sort of art house releases from A24. It's had a pretty big release, but a platform release that's done well, that's an original 
the concept. I mean, it's it's got a huge it comes fandom. from these shorts that they made. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So I think if this one gets denied by the Academy, you're going to see quite. An oh, outcry. I know. We'll I see know. what happens there. So, so my next one is the unbearable weight of massive talent, a very surprisingly fun meta movie starring Nicolas Cage as himself. Directed you by love Tom Nicolas Cage. I do. do. I mean, but so do you. You were a big fan of Pig. I, I'm I not saying I don't. <laughs> I mean, did you see this one? No, I haven't seen it. I I think anybody who's appreciated Nicolas Cage's resilience should see this movie because it's all about that. It's he's throwing everything into this performance, but not in a weird sort of uh, disorienting adaptation sort of way. It's a very fun insight into the kind of phenomenon of Nicolas Cage and the way he feels conflicted about it. Uh, So I just really, really enjoyed how it does that. But also as a buddy movie with Pedro Pascal as this like super fan. you know I do adore as well. adore him. So you got to see his movie. It's a a studio buddy movie and it was a hard sell for Lionsgate to do this at $30 million. I can't believe they, they pulled it off. But I'm really glad it exists and I hope that people continue to discover it with time. So So the other one that I liked is uh, another one that sort of slipped by uh, under the radar, but I thought it was terrific. It's The Outfit. Hmm. It's a focus features movie starring Mark Rylance and Zoe Deutsch. And it is uh, and Johnny Flynn, who I always love. The Outfit is this uh, really clever, well-written, well-shot, very pandemic uh, type of movie where they're all in like one location. But it is about a tailor uh, who gets uh, who's involved with a very nasty gang in Chicago, mm. period. Beautifully, beautifully made. Love it. Totally missed that one. That's and it's Graham Moore, the guy who wrote The Imitation Game. He got nominated oh. for it. And uh, this is his direct. He, he directed this. So so my next one on my list is one that I know you've seen and generated a lot of talk in the IndieWire headquarters. And that's The Northman, which is another movie that I just like can't get out of my head for other kinds of reasons. It's, it's, it's not funny at all, but it is a really good time, I think, because of the way it plunges you into this like bloody, insane Viking universe in such an uncompromised way. And I think on every level, you know, Skarsgård, the, the insanity of like Ethan Hawke at the beginning, like all these different, Nicole Kidman, the, the Shakespearean component to it in tandem with the like historical accuracy and then like a slight tinge of supernatural vibes it it all really comes together in a way where robert eggers as a director is is seeing that he has a rare opportunity to get away with something on a grand scale and you know whatever the movie did commercially and and there were stories that you know it was cost all this money and did it perform well enough i don't care the fact that it exists is, is one of those like minor miracles and now he can go back to doing whatever he can get away with on a smaller scale but uh i actually have the northman next also great so, Great. so we, we see eye to eye. How rare same is time. that? And I adore hilarious. the movie. I think it's extraordinary filmmaking um, uh, um, on an, an, and what he did to create this kind of verisimilitude for uh, what it was actually like back then. Yeah. He went to extraordinary lengths to achieve it. Uh, and he put his cast uh, and, and crew through, through hell. hell. But, you know, he's on a sort of in your level uh, in terms of. Yeah. You know, the and just something. getting started, you know, getting people, putting people into the freezing cold and, and making it all happen. But it's a great to him. It's an amazing movie and the actors are are supportive of it. So um, I think Alexander Skarsgård especially was extraordinary in this. 
Yeah, no, exactly. Well, the hilarious thing about that being next on your list is the next one on my list is Marcel the Shell with shoes on. So <laughs> we've kind of done that. So why don't we go on to the next one? What's what's next on your list? Everything everywhere all at once, mm. uh, which uh, I really uh, enjoyed in the theater with a young audience laughing their heads off. And anyone who hasn't seen it with an audience really is missing uh, an extraordinary experience. And uh, Daniel Kwan and, and Daniel Shiner, Daniels, they are the real deal. Um, and I can't wait to see what they do next. Um, and this movie gave Michelle Yeoh the opportunity to show what she can do. I've known for a long time how extraordinary she was as a martial artist and, and as an actress. She's done many dramatic roles. She's done many uh, extraordinary action roles. But this ex combination of comedy, action, and pathos, uh, the relationship between her and her daughter and her husband, uh, extraordinary. And the Jamie Lee Curtis thing is just <laughs> amazing. Good time. So, so give them, you know, in the way that we keep rewarding um, movies that took chances, that gave us unexpected thrills and chills and laughs, that's what this movie does and why it did so well and why it lasted so long and why it did a hundred million dollars at the worldwide box office, the first time an A24 film has uh, managed that feat. And they deserve incredible. a lot of credit for how well yeah. they marketed the film. It's, it's the, the art house answer to the Top Gun Maverick story of getting people back to theaters in a way, which is very cool to see. But these so. are word of mouth hits. That's the thing to remember. And why could word of mouth even exist in this climate? It's because there was room there were not right. as many films in the theaters. I know this is stating and people also need something. Word of mouth needs to be justified. I mean, it, it, it can't just be like, oh, like, for example, Nicolas Cage is crazy in this movie. It has to be like this. This movie is an experience. You've got to see it. It's You've a must see it. Movie. So um, so the next film on my list, I wish more people saw. And that's Emergency, which screened at the on opening night, opening night virtually at Sundance this year in competition and then went to Amazon and kind of was buried there in a way. And I wish more people knew about it because uh, Carrie Williams, who directed this from a screenplay by Katie Davila, uh, did a really good job of doing what I would call in, in, in not a reductive way at all, kind of a black super bad in a way. It's about these two African-American college students who come home to their dorm one night and they find this white woman passed out in their dorm and they don't know who she is. So they decide they're going to find out how to take her home. But of course, they also realize as two black men carting around an unconscious white woman, they're putting themselves in danger. So it it courts this sort of subversive line where you're sort of uncomfortable with what you're watching. But it's also a buddy movie where like one of the guys is, is sort of trying to get his career on track and the other guy's sort of a party guy. And you really feel drawn into that dynamic. I just thought it was really crisply acted, directed, super funny and I want to see more of that. So highly recommend it. It's on, it's on Amazon prime and, uh, and it won't That's go. That's another one I have to catch up with. You've talked about that one before. Yeah. And it always yeah, sounded yeah. good to me. Um, and then the other, the other one for me, um, there's sort of two French movies that came out this year that I, I loved and I had to sort of pick one or the other. And so I picked Claire Denise, both sides of the blade uh, with Vincent Landon and the extraordinary Juliette Binoche. It's a marital drama. It's a triangle romance. Uh, it's, it's a kind of 
um, pandemic mystery <laughs> in a way, you know, why is this woman uh, obsessed with her ex? You know, what what is really going on here? It's a movie that reveals things along the way. And and the way that Claire Denis shoots films in, in, in the real uh, in this in the space while she's, you know, working it out with with her actors and a, a roving camera. It's just it's just an amazing movie. It's my favorite movie of hers um, in, in years. And uh, I, I want to. Um, it, it won Best Director in, in Berlin. I want France to submit this movie. The other one that they that I loved, which uh, is Audrey Diwan's Happening, which we talked about last year in the context of uh, being submitted by France, and it wasn't, yeah. and it should have been, and blah blah blah. But uh, I want to promote that both technically sides of the came blade out now. this yeah. year. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, fair enough. I, both it, sides it opened of the blade. this year technically. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So it counts. I mean, I, I'm more of a Claire Denis fan in her crazy mode, like high life and stuff like that. <laughs> I can appreciate this is a, a well-acted marriage story of sorts. Uh, it didn't it didn't grab me the way it grabbed you, but we can continue to debate it if it ends up being the submission. So TBD. I really loved On the Count of Three, which I've talked about before on the podcast. This is Gerard Carmichael's directorial debut. It stars him and Christopher Abbott as these two guys who make a suicide pack. It's a little old. It did premiere at Sundance in, in last year, um, but finally came out this one through Annapurna. And uh, I just think what he's done as a, as a black made a black comedy in which like there, there are things that are so twisted about it, but it's, it's always constantly charming. Like these two guys are really lovable and it has that safety brothers element, like in good time or something where it's like, you know, they're doomed to fail. They've actually doomed themselves with the suicide pact in a way, but you're still sort of drawn into this day long odyssey. They go on where things keep getting screwed up and Gerard Carmack also uh, had this amazing uh, comedy short or comedy special, uh, Rothaniel, where he came out on camera that was robbed of an, an Emmy nomination this year. So he's having a good year. And I think people should really be tuning into him as an emerging storyteller. So that is uh, the next one on my list. What have you got? Top Gun Maverick. <laughs> I knew it was only a matter of time. Is it really you know, that good? You got to give the guy points, you know, all of them. But by, by the way, there is a narrative that Tom Cruise was very much responsible for the success of this movie. Mm -hmm. And I am not an enormous Tom Cruise actor fan. You know, I see him as a movie star mm -hmm. of very canny and cautious. Sure. Uh, proportions. A lot of people and, do. Um, in this case, what he did, that caution and that canniness paid off in the sense that he insisted on, you know, getting the script right or waiting for the right time or not having anything go off half cocked. I, I totally appreciate that. But Joseph Kaczynski did a great job. The screenwriting team did a great job. The cast and crew, Miles Teller, um, you know, Jennifer Connelly, they all did a great job. And, and in the end, you could argue that it's a little too predictable or a little too uh, finely uh, calibrated for commercial success. You could argue those things, but God damn it, it works. It's fun. It's satisfying. It, it is incredibly engaging. And the degree to which they took the uh, shooting of, of, of uh, airplanes to a new level, uh, it, it deserves a lot of credit, credibility and, and um, respect. 
Well, I have a different aeronautics themed uh, movie on my list, and that is uh, Apollo 10 and a half, which I thought was very much ignored and unfair, unjustly after its uh, premiere at South by Southwest. And then it just sort of drifted onto Netflix. So I hope they bring it back. This is Richard Linklater doing his rotoscope thing again, but in a way that I thought was just a really fascinating meditation on memory and childhood, kind of like more of a kinship to boyhood than say Waking Life or Scanner Darkly, his other animated movies. It's about a kid growing up in the space age, his memories of the moon landing. Jack Black does the adult voiceover of the kid. And it's all what you realize as you watch it is it's not really a narrative so much as it is this like movie length voiceover of memories, but they're super charming because the kid dreams of being sent to space to go on the moon because the space, the space, uh, uh, ship that they've created is too small, it turns out, for an adult. So he has this like fantasy of going to the moon that happens in tandem with real things that were happening in the late 60s and so forth. And uh, I just thought it was a really beautiful piece of filmmaking and uh, also related to certain aspects of it because it's about a, uh, a kid whose dad is a space engineer and he thinks that's really cool and nobody else gets that. I was born in Houston and my dad worked at NASA and I have the same problem. It's like nobody I really get gets it. how cool that is. So, okay, so I relate to that, but also... I think but I'm a, a space really nerd too. Point. So what I think what's interesting about what we're talking about today is how many little movies can slip through the cracks. Yes, completely um, ignored. That I would ordinarily go out of my way to see this movie. I love yeah. Richard Linklater and it's somehow this director. is by me. Yeah. And, you know, this is what happens in this universe where there isn't that much attention paid in the press, where things yeah. come and go and they're suddenly on a, a buried on a platform. And you, so need totally theatrical. you need theatrical. This movie should have probably had some more robust theatrical life. And Maybe it's an animation contender if they reintroduce it. I don't know how rotoscope. They always bears, they but. do not like this kind of animation at at uh, at the Oscars. It's 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 a thing. All right, the, my next one is an animated film. It's turning <laughs> red. Ah. It's the debut film of Donnie Dom, Domi Shi, and it, it is a, a remarkable story. Uh, you know that should have been in theaters. Uh, I, I queried uh, Bill again. You know, did 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 you know it went straight to Disney Plus? But of course. Disney did qualify it. Uh, you know, they didn't just uh, let it go completely. And it's a yeah. very big top contender for the animated Oscar because of its extraordinary story. It's dealing with with a young woman's menstruation in this is extraordinary yeah, way. Amazing. Uh, it's so, amazing uh, to see that and that it works. Gotta I, see mean, this I, film. I have uh, relatives visiting me from Columbia right now, and 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 my cousin has a twelve year old daughter, eleven year old daughter, and they watched that movie together and loved it. And I think there's probably a lot of mother daughter pairings who have gotten a lot out of this movie, and that's that's a market right there globally. I'd like know, to think you know. that there's uh, room for boys to see it too. Oh, I liked it too. I'm just saying that it taps into an experience that that sure. seems to be resonating for a lot of people and personally. Sure, um, but. As much as I like that movie, the next one on my list is Nope, which I decided to rank pretty highly because of all the things we've discussed. So we don't have to linger on that one. Hopefully it stays in the conversation and, and we'll see what happens. That's what? That's mine too. Nice. We're lining up more or Eric, less. Eric, Eric, <laughs> you disagree think, about that Top Gun. Yeah, but. yeah, yeah. So I, I'm curious to see what your number one is. Well, my number one is a movie that you've already mentioned, and that's the one that everyone's been talking about. And that's, of course, everything everywhere all at there once. There you go. I, I think the, the great thing about everything everywhere all at once, which this week got another 
bump in the news cycle because the Daniels signed a first look deal with Universal is that it it is a really cogent argument for what happens when you allow original visionary filmmakers to continue on that track. You know, Swiss Army Man was a bonkers movie. It wasn't for everyone. But even if you didn't like that movie, it was unlike anything you'd seen before. And investing in that kind of creativity is what allows this kind of thing to come out. So my soapbox, that's my top 10. No, no, uh, no question about it. So my top, my number one film of the year so far is Triple R. RRR, the Ooh, extraordinary, extraordinary Tollywood movie. Uh, it is from uh, the great filmmaker S.S. Rajamuli. It stars N.T. Rama Rao, Ram Charan. These men are extraordinary. If, I, 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 we haven't talked about Bullet Train. Um, I saw it. Bullet Train is a great action movie. It is one of the best action movies I've seen all year. David Leach and, and Brad Pitt and you know, everybody's very good in it, but this is on another scale. Oh, yeah. Three hours That's a good of move. It's sublime a good move. pleasure. This is my idea of heaven on earth. I, I could have put a, I didn't a, list where a muscle for there. three hours. I, I think with RRR, it's what's been fascinating to see is that it, it it's, really broken out of its like kind of core Tollywood Bollywood fan base for this kind of storytelling because it just it works even though it is that and it's got these ridiculous you know song and dance numbers that just sort of burst out of nowhere it's got some action that you've never seen before unbelievable action unbelievable it's and I when I say unbelievable it's like I I defy I remember back in the day with um Mad Max Fury Road, uh, a, a director friend of mine, Alan Arkish, was pouring over the, the movie, trying to figure out how George Miller did it. Yep. Literally, how did he do it? And I, right. this is that kind of movie oh, sure, where you sure. see you see this combo of the wire effects and the yeah. and the the G- CGI used together with the John Woo slow mo, all right. of it combining in a way that you've. There's this one thing on a bridge where they're the swinging back and forth. It's like who cares about physics? And also, yeah. I, I do I do appreciate a movie where it's like throw caution to the wind and use all the tricks you can get away with, including CGI and like. Like you could tell, like, oh yeah, that tiger is CGI, but it doesn't. And they really would never matter. have tigers together I mean, yeah, you know, with yeah. other animals in a in a box. But Come it's still on, like, people! It's, it's fun. It's <laughs> like watching a reality. Yeah, yeah, it's like watching a cartoon. I really did enjoy this movie. I mean, it's. I do think it's like sort of all over the place in certain ways, but it's so eager to please. No, 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 so. no, no but it's also very primal. It has this bromance at the center of it. These two guys who think they're brothers, who really love each other, who are actually pitted against each other, yep. and 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 for all sorts of political reasons that you know we we will not go into but but the idea that they're both um equivalently matched perfectly matched in terms of their physicality and their athleticism that's what's fun about bullet train too is to mm. have these extraordinary actors executing at a very high level the most intricate witty funny right. stunts and and overcoming your sense of, of implausibility too Absolutely. And I would take bullet train over the gray man in a heartbeat. You know, there's no comparison. uh, Not, not a tough. The Russo brothers lack, lack humor in my view. And yet one of those movies is becoming a franchise. So we'll see what happens with. They say it is. That's what they say. It lasted for how long at number one on. Who knows? We can't trust this number. I think it lasted about eight days. Well, should we speed through our, our major stories of the year? Because that that's one of them. 
uh, we did we did want to just like quickly touch on like what are the stories that seem to have really resonated and made an impact. We already talked about the HBO Max Discovery thing, and that's still developing. There was a Netflix stock slump, which continues to be something that I think a lot of people are looking at, even though it's not generating as much headlines because it really raised questions about you know what is the future of a streamer that just has unlimited funds. So what yeah. that the impact of that is 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 relevant to the HBO Max story because, yeah. you know, there's a story, um, there's a story today about how Paramount and Sony made all the right calls during the pandemic in terms of holding back their films and selling off the films that they didn't hold back. So they didn't end up spending as much on streaming, but then Paramount got into streaming, you know, under pressure from Wall Street. And now they've invested all this money and they're losing money on the on the Paramount Plus. And so that's what Zaslav is looking at. He's looking at how much money Disney Plus is, is losing. He's looking at as a, you know, they're investing in it, but what are they getting back? And and now you have theatrical. You can make money back theatrically. And he took um, Elvis that was supposed to go straight to HBO Max and he's putting it on PVOD first. So it's the universal model turns out to be the really wise model. The three weeks in theaters straight to PVOD. Don't get hurt at theaters, even if you're still even if you are on PVOD, the two revenue producing things go on at the same time. Yeah, you can't. And, one doesn't have to negate the other. Exactly. Although another big story we were going to touch on is the Top Gun box office, well over a billion dollars worldwide. Uh, quite the dramatic launch out of Cannes with the, the French Air Force and so forth, re re reuniting uh, audiences with their favorite movie star, clearly, and, and creating the sense that a movie of this scale can still perform. I think the big question now is, is this a phenomenon unique to Tom Cruise or can it be replicated by something else? Because so far it's not like Thor Love and Thunder, you know, came anywhere close. We're not seeing anything yeah. that can compete. The thing about Tom, the thing that I loved about Top Gun is that they waited a really long time and they used all of the beats and, and emotional, um, you know, the, the emotional beats of the first one to, to, to inform and pay off in, in, in the second. And, and, it, and it's an example of, of just doing everything for the right reasons, the right way. Um, uh, Marvel is, is trying to do something, you know, enormous in its own way, but it's so difficult to, to the, the Top Gun took 10 years to deliver what it, what it was, you know, and, and I don't think uh, Marvel is, is paying as, as much time and money uh, to make their movies come out uh, at the same level anymore. Uh, that's, that's probably what's going on there. Although I'll tell you the one that's going to be, um, good, I believe, is uh, Wakanda Forever. And and that one, that one looks like uh, a lot of love and care. Fingers crossed. I mean, it, it sounds like it was it was certainly quite a quite a hard shoot, given all the conditions behind it, you know, but uh, the December release date and, and of course, Ryan Coogler's track record bodes well. So looking forward to that. And then, of course, we have to talk about the slap. So we we did talk a bit about the slap last week because of that, that bizarre Will Smith apology. But this week, I feel like it's just worth acknowledging, like, though we don't talk about this all the time and we're getting back into Oscar mode, that's what ended Oscar season last year. Like that was I can't I still cannot believe that that's that was the punctuation. It makes you scared to think about what could happen next if that can happen on live TV. And hopefully, you know, it was an anomaly, but it 
I do wonder, I mean, just how much it tarnished the reputation of this ceremony. I mean, how much are people going think, talking about I it? I don't think, I think it tarnished the reputation of the two heads of the Academy who are no longer there. Uh, Don Hudson, CEO, replaced by Bill Kramer from the Academy Museum and uh, David Rubin, who had a really good track record there. He did, he did very well. He, he, he was, he was well-liked, but then at the end of the day on that night, the two of them, uh, he was the president who's elected by the board of governors um, and he's been replaced now Um, on that night, they made the wrong call and they let Will Smith go up and accept his oscar they should not have done that however it was done i don't know it's a piece of history i mean it's a piece of history even beyond pop culture it's like one of the great sort of like public catastrophes of all time and and so i mean so it played out in real time and you and i were were there you know we were there and i remember standing in the the rafters and seeing that tiny Will Smith walking up to the stage like a little, little figurine and being like, OK, that's happening. And then hearing his voice <laughs> echoing and being like, this shouldn't what be happening. I yeah, better film this on my phone. It, you do feel, I mean, I live for the drama of it all. And I, I should say, as I said, it's not one of the great public catastrophes in light of some of the horrible things that no, are happening no, around no, no, the world no, no. right now. In the entertainment but it, industry. From an entertainment standpoint, it, it's just shocking when, when things it had a cultural down. impact because because yeah. there were so many people who supported what he did, too. Right. right. You know, there were arguments about it. Yeah. Um, and then yeah. and then the other the other thing now is that we have a new uh, president, Janet Yang, as we just predicted, elected. is, is going to be uh, running things there and in charge of the Oscars with uh, with Kramer. They're going to reinvent the Oscars this year. I'm really curious to see what kind of changes they bring. Uh, there really is an overhaul expected. And I'm it's, sure it's actually kind of exciting. I mean, in, in a sense, I mean, Janet Yang necessary is overhaul. She's a veteran uh, a producer, and and I feel like that mindset seems to be necessary right now, especially in tandem. Problem solver, problem, yeah, problem solver, and a CEO who's a people person. I mean, there's just like a lot of things lining up that at least the narrative is promising. So I guess yep, we'll I see. Think, I think we're in good hands right now, and hope I'm hope you know me. <laughs> I'm always hoping that there's a way to turn turn things around, and and yeah. you know what, the movies are back. You know that is the big story of the year. And even if there have been a lot of disappointments and it's going to be lean for the next uh, month or so before the big guns come in in September, um, we'll see. We'll see. I hope Bullet Train does some business. Well, TBD, next week, we'll take a a look back at some of the Oscar contenders potentially that we've already seen. We've talked about a few of them this week, but the list goes on. And uh, until then, Anne, I'll just uh, have to go back over your list and see if there's any holes I need to fill. When you write it, when when we write, uh, we'll include everyone. We will include the lists on the uh, post. Because you should all watch Apollo 10. I want to I want to see half of the ones I, uh, that <laughs> exactly. Eric. Exactly. And Akira. All right. Talk All to right. you later. Talk Bye. To you later, Bye. Bye.